Uh, but when you think about that type of information and that specificity over a course of practices throughout a season or, or through a number of se seasons throughout a career, you can actually really track how much work that player has put on mm. his body and his lower half throughout an entire career. So I think that's a metric that we'll see the performance staffs and the strength and conditioning and healthcare staffs for the teams look at much more closely. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have John Pollard, Vice President of Business Development at Zebra Sports, a division of Zebra Technologies, the official on-field player tracking provider for the NFL. At Zebra, John leads the company's team engagement efforts with the NFL, NCAA, as well as other sports around the world. In addition to his management responsibilities, John continues to work directly with league and team personnel, including coaching and analytics staff around the NFL and college football, to help organizations use statistical, analytical, and player tracking performance data and technologies to work more efficiently and support informed decision making. In the lead up to this Sunday's Super Bowl 55, John shares some insights from Zebra's next gen stats to help you decide if it will be another ring for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or if last year's Super Bowl MVP, Patrick Mahomes, and the Kansas City Chiefs will secure back-to-back -back championships. If you enjoyed today's discussion, then please feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Always good to spread the word of what we're doing. And thanks again for listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. John Pollard, Vice President of Business Development for Zebra Sports. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Thomas, thanks for having me. So for some of our guests that don't know about Zebra Sports or Zebra Sports, we were joking about that off camera, I'm Australian, so I'm mis mispronouncing it. Um, tell us a bit more about what you do. I mean, the title of official on-field player tracking provider for the NFL um, is very impressive in and of itself, but give us some details on that. Yeah, so the 2020 season was our seventh season in the capacity as a partner with the NFL. And what Zebra does for on-field tracking uh, capabilities is that we place a series of receiver boxes around the perimeter of every NFL stadium in the States, also the international stadiums in the UK, and Azteca Stadium for Mexico City. Uh, the receiver there's about 20 receiver boxes in most stadiums. Uh, those are permanently installed. And then we have uh, RFID tags, small RFID tags that are affixed to the inside of the player's shoulder pads underneath the leaflets or the epaulets of the shoulder pads, one on each shoulder for all the players. Uh, and those tags emit a signal that the receiver boxes pick up. Um, we also have an RFID tag that we work through a significant amount of R&D effort uh, with the help of the NFL and Wilson Sporting Goods to develop an RFID tag that can be affixed into the inside of the NFL football. So during the construction of every NFL football, um, uh, Wilson Sporting Good takes our RFID tag and puts it, melds it into the rubber bladder of the football during construction. So the uh, player tags uh, send a signal uh, multiple times a second, uh, 12 times a second to the receiver boxes, and we get locationing information, proximity information, speed and distance traveled information. The ball tag is, has a, a bit more fidelity based on the information we collect, velocity and RPM data. The ball tag blinks 25 times a second. So all that information is collected uh, and then distributed to uh, the NFL teams the day after contests. Um, and also we enjoy a lot of that information through broadcast as, as, as all of the media partners become much more comfortable and fluent in the next gen statistics service and the, and the definitions of that. And of course, NFL.com and the next gen stats side has been 
increasing in popularity um, and, and awareness uh, and enjoyment about how much information is available, utilizing the information that our technologies are capturing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that, that element of the, the broadcast and the engagement with advanced statistics, as you said, um, is only growing. And I know on a couple of levels, purely from the, the avid fan that just wants that deeper level of data, um, but then also uh, maybe sports betting, people that actually want to see if they can get an edge by understanding the game through the stats. So how have you seen it change, I guess, over the last six, seven years? Well, I think what we're talking about is an interesting place to start, Thomas. You know, when we first installed our systems, um, the predominant information that was being collected was miles per hour. So I think in 2014, 2015, we'd see a player's miles per hour. And though it's seven years ago, when was the last time, you know, when you think about it and turn back the clock a bit, when was miles per hour really a, a relevant metric in football? You know, I think mm -hmm. miles per hour in terms of a car speed or a baseball yeah. pitch or the speed of a hockey puck, for instance. Uh, but now, you know, over six or seven years, I think we've all become a bit more comfortable in understanding you know, kind of the, in general, the various ranges of a player's top speed. And, you know, for a wide receiver, it can be somewhere in the 18 to 20 to 21 mile an hour perspective. The linebackers play somewhere in the 15 to 18 mile an hour range. And, and that knowledge also not only kind of, you know, soaks into the minds of us here, you know, as fans and in the media and as partners, but the teams themselves have become much more comfortable in looking at various speed ranges for players, not only as a, you know, throughout their entire career, you know, maybe a rookie versus a, someone in the middle of their career towards someone, someone towards the end of their career. So that's become, you know, much more prevalent as being comfortable with miles per hour. Uh, secondarily, I think the proximity information using uh, the, the how much distance of distance a player travels during a certain player or a series of plays, and how much acceleration they have within a game context. For instance, a, a defensive back uh, merging onto a wide receiver for during a, a pass play, for instance, or a running back hitting, hitting open field after they get past the line of scrimmage and taking game context information and then applying the speed and distance information within that. I think we're seeing a lot more of that reveal itself through media conversations uh, and broadcast, uh, but also again, the teams themselves are using much more of that information as they evaluate players and do advanced and, and self-scouting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's interesting how it, feels when it's when you're not familiar with it and you're not familiar with the context it's just a meaningless it's like those um i equate it to if you look at the stock market and that's obviously very important in the news at the moment but like the ticker of, of like the graphs and there's just numbers and there's just it's up and down and there's this and there's all this information and if you don't have any contextualizing um supporting i guess commentary or things around that what does it mean like if someone's running 18 miles an hour, I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't know how fast I run. I work in kilometers anyway, so I'm doubly confused. But, <laughs> but for that, it, it goes, you need that contextualized information. And as people get more literate with data and more accustomed to it, it means you can add layers up beyond that. Because am I right in saying that the, the technology hasn't advanced as much as, I guess, the way it's applied has? Well, that's a great, that's a great question. Uh, the technology itself, there's a significant amount of potential still to be revealed and what the technology can provide. So again, you have a, a user base, a client base that you're working with. And I, you know, I should say we, we, as in our capacity as the partner with the NFL, we provide the technology for all the game stadiums. So the game tracking, 
we have a, a, an ancillary business channel that we work on where we sell our technologies directly to the teens themselves who yeah. want who want to use our tracking system at their practice facilities to track you know training camp mini camp OTAs and obviously development and progress throughout the season uh, and monitoring player health and development and recovery um, so you know in, in that vein you know technology is really exciting and how what it can do but I think you really have to the user base and the utility of it the functionality of it how you present the information to the power of software and analytics is critically important mm -hmm. to to increase that literacy and comfort with the information so we're still we're, we're, we're really catching up in terms of utility to what the technology can do yeah and it certainly comes from um, zebra or zebra I'm, I'm just going to say both for the whole interview that's uh, it. I, I like it when you say it that way it's good i like that too we're a global yeah. company so that's yeah. good as i had someone comment the other week about how i say data and data depending on who i'm interviewing so <laughs> english is my language so the, i was about to say zebra is the radio frequency identification rfid as a technology um right. coming from zebra technologies the kind of parent company um, whole bunch of different applications across the world, across the industries, you know, um, you know, everything from logistics and warehouses to medical applications. So in terms of how that technology um, is used, I guess that feeds down from, from the mothership, so to speak, that you have all this technology development going on and then it goes into an industry specific context to how you use that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, it's that, something that sports is, pushing at the bleeding edge of in, in some respects and is really all on on, on technology. And then in other areas, um, the technology's there. It's just waiting to be applied. Well, I, I appreciate you saying just what you said, Thomas. You know, you know Zebra's been a company. It's been around since the late 60s. And our, the heritage of our company was around barcode and UPC uh, industrial printing and scanning capabilities. In fact, the Zebra logo black and white stripes that was derived from the concept of a UPC code uh, scan. And so, you know, as you, as you said, we're prevalent in industries like retail, healthcare, travel and entertainment, operations and logistics. We have large clients in, in, in especially nowadays with omni-channel fulfillment and inventory tracking and getting packages and other parcels and on time and tracking things in warehouses. That was all heritage core competency capabilities that existed in Zebra. And to your point, when the NFL opportunity came around the 2014-2013 timeframe, we were able to lean on technology, knowledge, and capabilities of decades and now turn it into something that's very industry specific. And what we found ourselves now in seven years and working with the NFL, that there's lots of learnings that we're getting in the sports environment, both for the game day operations and servicing capabilities we're doing for the NFL, also working independently with teams with some specialty analytics and information that they're looking for in their environments. And that's helping us get information back to our industrial side. So it's really turned into a wonderful process of learning on both sides, what we call enterprise at Zebra and the sports specific channel. And we collaborate more and more on opportunities for us to provide more value, not only to the NFL, but to the team organizations, as well as other sports leagues around the league world. Yeah, and it's that relationship with, um, I'd say that's all startups to, to big companies, especially the startups. Um, your customers are also your, like in a way your R&D, you're not experimenting with like guinea pigs, but they're the ones that are gonna tell you what they need. So listen to them, listen to your customers. Um, make sure you don't live in an echo chamber. So that's certainly part of that development um, phase. That all aside, let's let's dive into the Super Bowl. I mean, obviously coming up, um, probably 
one of the biggest games in the world. I'm trying to rack my brains of maybe the uh, World Cup final, um, UEFA Champions League, I think Super Bowl, depending on which metrics, they'd probably be one, two, and three. Yes. Yeah. And depending on, on what you care about, depending on what order, but um, the big game, can you share some insights? Who, who have you got for, uh, <laughs> for Sunday? <laughs> Using data and analytics, of course. We'll try and remain neutral to all of our team partners. You know, you end up having friends with all the various teams that you work with, even the ones you may not work directly with, and, and people move from team to team. So I guess I'll work my way into it. Maybe I'll talk myself into what my prediction might be, Thomas, after sharing some of this information with you. Um, and doing some uh, work uh, evaluating both Tampa Bay and Kansas City, uh, the first thing that comes to mind when you think about the Kansas City Chiefs is they're a, a fast team. There's lots of skilled players with incredible speed. Um, obviously, Patrick Mahomes is their quarterback, is a, is the star of the league, and one of the top stars of the league that we've seen in decades. So that's exciting. Um, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers also have a number of great athletes on their team as well. And, and we'll talk, let's talk about that first fundamental metric we got from our tracking system, miles per hour and speed. Um, for the during the postseason, here's some uh, information. McCole Hardman from the Kansas City Chiefs, he recorded the the first, the highest um, miles per hour rating uh, during the postseason year to date. He ran a up on his uh, his 50 yard rush against the Bills. He ran a 21.52 miles per hour, and again that put the, put him first amongst all postseason games. Uh, McCole also had uh, the seventh highest playoff speed. Uh, rating at a 20.54 miles per hour during a 42-yard reception against the Browns. Um, you know, and it's uh, something to talk about too. I um, mentioned that 42-yard reception. We track we, we track distance, and of course, in the old box scores, we go, "Oh, it's a 42-yard reception." Well, McCall actually travels 65.6 yards to make that 42-yard reception. And so, I like to bring that to because that again brings a lot a new dimensionality for us to appreciate. Now, we can see on the TV, on the broadcast, or the coaches can see on, on the videos that people are being evasive and using a lot of field to try to get more yards downfield. Uh, but when you think about that type of information and that specificity over a course of practices throughout a season or, or through a number of se seasons throughout a career, you can actually really track how much work that player has put on mm. his body and his lower half throughout an entire career. So I think that's a metric that we'll see the performance staffs and the strength and conditioning and healthcare staffs where the teams look at much more closely as they introduce, for instance, a college player who's maybe played 12 or 13 games a season during his college career, comes into the NFL, he's now playing a 17-plus week season, and how does that change? Then, of course, for a veteran player, do you start to monitor and, 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 and titrate how much workload they get during a season? So that's something to think about. Uh, also on the speed metrics, I want to mention Tyree Kill, a perpetual leader in speed, uh, number 10 for the Kansas City Chiefs. He had the third highest speed in the playoffs so far at 20.76 miles an hour on his 70-yard rece TD reception against Buffalo. On that 71-yard reception, he ran 102 and a half yards, again, grabbing a lot of ground. I, won't, I don't want to leave a Buccaneer out of this. Scott Miller. Uh, on that great play before the half uh, where he caught a touchdown pass against Green Bay. He had the sixth highest rating in miles per hour at 20.64 miles per hour for that 39-yard touchdown pass just before the half. And if you saw the replay, you know, he, he came off the line, hadn't didn't go into full acceleration. When the defensive back became closer to him, that's when he hit the burst, and that's when you saw him catch that 20.64 uh, miles per hour rating. So that's interesting. I also mentioned quickly uh, during the regular season, Tariq Hill had the fifth highest of all the season 
10 miles per hour at 21.991 miles per hour. And then Leonard Fournette, a running back for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a big back, uh, a bruising back, can extend plays. He had the 20th fastest run. And you you typically see that again for wide receivers. You don't always see running backs at the top of that area. He had the 20th highest rating at 21.44 miles an hour on a 46-yard TD run versus Carolina. Yep. So – bit of pace there and really interesting that you say about that um 70 yard run but actually it's 100 yards because that's also sometimes on um tv coverage what can be missed in the moment because if you are depending on what you're focusing on if you're focusing on that um the action to the side um and that's where it's good to be able to see well wow this person actually came around for for so much more than that in the position and to your point college players um 12 seasons versus a full college and then a full season at NFL. And you might not even be getting receptions, but you might be running. Like you might have to be first option. That, that's the other thing is, is the, all this happens um, around the context of the ball, but then you also think you've got to track what's not happening um, with the ball, which can be just as important for creating space, making plays. Um, and that's something that certainly a stat that just personally I love uh, watching and especially in, in, uh, I'm in the NFL and in the AFL, the Australian Rules Football, uh, Australian Football League, um, is to set distance covered because you really get a, a genuine appreciation of the work being put in um, uh, by these athletes. Well, it's a, it's a great point. And if I, if I may, you, you uh, remind me of a, of a situation that's looked at, and I can't get into the specific club or the, or the scenario, but – you know, there was there was a player, uh, a wide receiver, and as we all know, a lot, a lot of offenses now run on timing. It's the timing routes, get, getting rid of the ball quick to avoid the pass rush uh, during pass plays. But there was a player who was a, a wide receiver that ran a lot of the slant type short burst r- uh, routes, uh, who also played on special teams significantly. Um, and and then you know the team was actually studying was there a degradation and acceleration and burst capability throughout the course of a game where a game happened to go into overtime. Um, and it was a, re- it was a retrospective review of it, but it made you think to your point, even when the ball's not in hand, those wide receivers are running those routes. Mm. And when you get to a timing moment, when it might look to us through the television broadcast or in the stands, boy, there, you know, they, there's a miscommunication or that was a poor throw or the receiver ran the wrong route could also be the impact of potentially being a little bit worn down, the timing just not being there that we might have seen at the beginning of the game, for instance. And so that's always interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The the uh, As you said, yeah, it can look like a timing thing on on TV, except they're just gassed because of those repeat performances um, from the, you know, two, three players before that you didn't see an outcome in the sense of you didn't see them get the ball. So as a fan, sometimes it can be lost. So I think – that to our earlier point about understanding that and contextualizing it, you get a richer appreciation and a richer understanding of the game. Um, and, you know, that's, that's certainly, certainly great for the sport to be able to, to, to dive into that deeper. And also for the NFL's international appeal is something that I'll add uh, right. as well. Because people understand the game. You mentioned that um, uh, the units are also used at the, the UK games and the game in Mexico, so Tottenham um, Stadium and, and Wembley. Um, so for those UK fans that might not have much of a context about what's going on and um, understanding there's no offside and that's about as far as they get, um, but where, where that sits and where this kind of um, deeper appreciation and understanding of the performance goes. 
Yeah, it, 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 as we're talking about this too, Thomas, I, I have a couple of other categories of information that kind of lends itself to this, the game context to bring more fidelity to the data. We talked about the speed piece and that that's the most fundamental and teams are becoming much more again, fluent in and really understanding how to, the practicality of implementing that knowledge. And then, you know, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, both running backs for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Tampa Bay's offense ranks seventh in rushing yards over expectation. And I want to talk a minute, if I may, about rushing yards over expectation. That's a new metric that the NFL's Next Gen Stats team published this year for us. And we can see it as, as fans through the NFL.com site and the Next Gen Stats site. And really what that is, they took uh, proximity information of the running back to his blockers and also proximity of the defenders and the direction and speed information and came up with a calculation that says, we, we expect the running back to get X amount of yards and how many yards over X does that, does that running back get? And then, so when you think about looking at the Super Bowl, when, you look, when I looked at the numbers, one of the areas, again, that may seem obvious, but the numbers give more you know, fidelity to what we're talking about here. Can the can Tampa Bay extend the ball on the ground? And Ronald Jones is sixth in yards per carry. So we're used to seeing that metric in the league over the season. He's third in rushing yards over expectation in the league. So he can extend plays by breaking tackles and finding holes. He's also third in yards gained after contact as mm -hmm. well. So that gets down to Kansas City's defense really needs to make sure that they keep the running lanes clogged, if, they, if I may, and make sure that they're tackling and wrapping up a running back like, like, like Ronald Jones. And then Leonard Fournette against Green Bay at the NFC Championship game, if people will remember this run, he had that 20-yard touchdown run where he ran the line of scrimmage. There was lots of traffic. He evaded some running backs. It was 17 yards over expectation for that run alone. And he had 21.7 yards after contact. The next-gen stats calculation gave the potential of him scoring a touchdown based on the line of, at, around the line of scrimmage at a 0.4% likelihood or probability of scoring a touchdown in that. So, again, that's just suggestive of the potential of those two running backs. And really, these are this is information, again, the chief staff has. They have their own film evaluations. They're aware of these are good running backs and they have a job to do. Yeah. But these, this information can be used to really – bring home the point from a coaching staff perspective or a scouting perspective as they're trying to administer the lesson plan to those players as they prepare for the game. Yeah. Especially sticking tackles. Like it's just that they will, they will hurt you if you don't, if that first tackle doesn't come off there or you don't, as you said, you don't clog the running lane. Um, they're going to make you pay. So I mean, when you were describing that, I immediately um, was thinking of um, beast mode, um, Marshall yeah. Lynch, a, a player that just would, I, I don't have his stats and I'm, after this, I'm going to go look that up, but in kind of um, were over expectation, um, he was a player that was just, you know, fantastic. Special, special player. Yeah. yeah, absolutely gifted. And it was the coverage of that. And I mean, obviously everyone knows about the beast quake and, and all that kind of stuff, but um, yeah, a player like that where you put on notice that, Hey, this is um, you've got to tackle him. You've got to take him down quick or he's going to make you pay. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's really interesting. So, any other stats about the Super Bowl? Any any other, um, I guess, yeah. advanced statistics um, like the one that you just mentioned beyond, I mean, we started with miles, miles per hour speed and then something like that that, again, comes back to that context of in the game, where are they positioned in relation to other players? Um, anything else in that space? 
Yeah, let's let's talk about Kansas City's offense, which is fun to watch, um, and then Tampa's defense. As I, you know, looking at the numbers, you know, Kansas City, as we all know, incredible athleticism from the quarterback to the every receiver position, and you know, KC's offense ranks seventh in the league in yards after catch as a percentage of their total offense. And so, for all of us, you know, that means look. They can catch shorter pass, shorter range passes, but because of their speed and athleticism, the ability for Patrick Mahomes to throw a wide receiver open, they can extend plays after the catch. They're also third in average yards after catch per reception, and they rank fifth in average uh, yards after contact uh, over expectation, uh, yards after catch over expectation. So the equivalent of the running scenario we talked for the Buccaneers, again, it just it just establishes that the Kansas City Chiefs can their receivers can extend plays after the catch. And so, you know, the Tampa Bay's linebackers, incredibly athletic and, and quick, and their defensive backs who are very physical uh, in run support, but also very good tacklers. We saw that exhibited throughout the playoffs. They've got to do their job of making sure they try to keep things in front of them in general and try to make those tackles and shorten those plays. Um, Kel- uh, Travis Kelsey, the great tight end from the Chiefs, he ranks first in total yards after catch throughout the entire season, and he's 12th in the league in total yards after catch over expectation. Tyreek Hill, third in the in the league in total yards after catch, so they have the first and third ranked receivers on Kansas City's offense in yards after catch. And actually, McCall Hardman, he ranks second in the league in average yards after catch per reception. So we just named three players. When you're an opposing defense. What, what do you what do you what do you pay attention to? You got to yeah. make sure you contain Patrick Mahomes. You've got to make sure that you cover Kelsey, maybe double him. You don't you double Tyreek. Do you leave it to McColl? So it's kind of pick your poison for opposing opposing defenses. But I will say this: here's here's the rub, and I want to leave us with this on this on the scouting report. Tampa's defense is fourth best in the league in limiting limiting yards after catch per reception. So strength against strength there. They're also fourth in the league in yards after catch allowed over expectation, cumulative. So they were in the top five in the league in reducing plays. So that's strength versus strength. If Tampa's defense in the second and third levels can limit their yards after catch, that may keep them in the game. Uh, and if they can establish the run, we might have a really interesting contest to watch. But that, again, provides that game context that some of us and most of us are familiar with and then taking the tracking data and using it effectively. So do you think that we, I mean, that statistical, that, that, that marker around um, basically extending plays. So after catch, being able to, to take it forwards. And does that relate to the, the quarterback at all? Is, is there, is there the ability to draw the link between that, like as in the sense of the position that they put the player in, or is it, is it around, well, who's immediately in front of them? So I've done a really poor job of asking that question. Basically, two of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen um, going head-to-head, and you know, I think Mahomes will go on to really prove that. Um, and obviously, Tom Brady um, doesn't need anything more said about him. Um, but their ability to, to, to make smart plays, to extend the play, to find open opportunities uh, with their receivers... Um, is that taken into account there in the sense that they create opportunities and they will, I guess, make the right throw or is it much more about what that person does once they have the ball? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's, it's a bit of everything. So of course the teams, the NFL provides an application to all the teams to, we, we have our own application that we provide our practice clients. 
And the, the league also provides teams an application that allows them to look at this information with more game context filters. So you can look at these scenarios that we discussed and apply the defensive type, whether it's man, man coverage or zone coverage. What is the down and distance situation? What is the, where, where are they in the location of the field? What are they in terms of score differential? How much time on the clock? So typical filters to refine uh, the information into a way that's applicable. Um, another way you can do it, it through that application is that, you know, the, the lifeblood of any sport coaching or, or, or scouting and evaluation tool is game video. Yeah. So when you go into the NFL tool, the teams have access to a tool that will allow them to click a scenario and go right to the all 22 view of the end zone sideline and also the broadcast view. So that gives them that context that they're com comfortable with applying the tracking data to something they're very used to looking at. And it translates very quickly for consumption and interpretation from, the, from that. I will add one more thing. Uh, a new thing that was released this year through the Next Gen Stat Service per the NFL was using our uh, using algorithms and other math machine learning capabilities to derive based on the directional information that our chips are collecting route recognition. So all that's being automated now. Mm. So when you start to look at a defensive type, let's just say a general zone, or let's say a cover two or a cover one or a cover three scenario. Um, and then you start to look at when do these yards after catch happen based on, is it based on a vertical route? Is it based on a slant? Is it based on a hitch route or some type of crossing route and applying that? I think that's when you, you can see, is it a combination of quarterback and receiver communication, some variability of play design uh, affecting the route and also the opportunity provided by the defense. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, I could talk about this all day, but Me too. We're, running, <laughs> we're running out of time. So um, just to, just our second to last question is, is where do you see the kind of future of tracking technology and football going? Um, obviously, saved one of the biggest questions for last or second last, but, but in a nutshell, where's the kind of number one area where you think it's going or you would like it to go? Yeah, I think, I think the, the increase, just the increased comfort and fluency in utilizing the information. So, you know, some of your listeners may know or, or may not know um, the NFL teams cannot access this information. And there's other sets of information that they can't access if I may live in a game environment or on the sidelines or even in the booth who have communication to the coaching staffs on the sidelines. Uh, the devices that they're using, the, the, the surface devices that they're using on the sidelines, they're seeing still images. They're not seeing moving pictures and any other information. Now they can have reports and analysis on, on, in a fixed sense, uh, any hard copies that they might have in their laminated sheets or call sheets, they have access to that. Uh, I think sometime in the future, you may see some uh, more of that information being available to, uh, to coaching staffs uh, during the game, uh, particularly when you start thinking about, you know, monitoring players' health and, and safety during a, during a game. So that, I think we'll see some more of that uh, in the future. I think potentially for the technology, and it really, you know, we're, we're in deference to how, what the NFL is trying to do. And, I, and I'll tell you, I'll, I have to say this, when you work closely with a league like the NFL, you know, on our side of the fence and being in terms of being a partner and a service provider, the technology is extremely exciting. It can do a lot of things uh, that we're not seeing, you know, exercised today. However, the, these leagues and what, us in, the, in terms of the NFL, but all the other major leagues and the collegiate ranks really have to be thoughtful and pragmatic when they consider how they introduce new technologies, capabilities, and information services. The integrity of gameplay, 
competitive ba- and fair balanced play, um, you know, in terms of teams' resources and, 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 their, and their fluency and competency and resource capabilities they have to leverage this information really has to be even. So, you know, we have to be a little patient and, and then ultimately mm. you can bring technology more, more to the forefront. So in that vein, our technology, we certainly could help potentially with, uh, with, with more, more research and development and efforts around the placement of the ball or when, it, when the ball goes out of bounds and placing it, helping the, the referees accurately uh, place the ball uh, during a, on the field. We could potentially indicate the, the ball crossing the plane of a goal line, uh, indicating a touchdown or not. Um, and so I think using, you know, providing more operational support um, yeah. for, for games to make the, the, the uh, uh, officiating staff on the field um, and all the game day operations people that work maybe a little bit more efficient in what they do. Our technology is there, and you know those are things that can be an exploration. I think the final thing I'll say is I think the information that we're collecting is can be very valuable in the players' hands. And teams are different. You know how much of this information or this type of information or similar sets of information they share with players. You know the players in the league now, the majority of them, they're very fluent in information and analytics and statistics and technologies. I think having this information as a player, it can be very valuable in guiding your own self-development, your own training. And, and really, why not be, educate yourself when you're in those coaching rooms or you're having an off-season discussion with a position coach or a performance coach? They're more informed potentially. And I, I think over the next few years, you'll see – and some clubs are doing it to a certain degree. I think you'll see more clubs be more comfortable in sharing information and, and democratizing it. It's gone from the scouting staffs to the exec staff to the coaching staff, but now into all the players so they can be more informed as well. I, I hope to see that in the near, near future as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I was talking to a professional athlete last week about this. He said when it first came in, uh, the beginning of his career, he was concerned because he was like, they're just going to use this to, you know, basically call me out and it's going to be negative. And now it's going, well, actually, it's a tool for me to get better. So uh, a lot of athletes I know are excited about getting their hands on this. Um, Thank you so much, John. Uh, Really appreciate your time. Uh, Obviously, a pretty busy week for you in the lead up to, to the big game. Uh, final question uh, that we ask all our guests, what is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Well, I'll have to say I'm, I'm from New England originally. I'll, ha- I'll have to say the 2004 World Series um, with Keith Folk throwing a ground ball uh, from Renteria back to Folk over to Mankiewicz at first base. So being a Red Sox fan, that's my, fa- <laughs> that's my hey, favorite buddy. moment. Yeah, That's good. I thought, I thought it was going to be a Brady moment, but um. But as soon as he's in New England, but yeah, there you go. All right, so the mighty, the mighty Red Sox. I'll I'll play on the neutral side of sports and go to the baseball side. Good, <laughs> Lots good. of friends across the NFL. Yeah, so we're we're say, fans of them all. All our listeners in Philly were holding their breath for a second there, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, John. Um, we'll uh, be keenly watching the game. I think I can speak for pretty much everyone listening that um excited to to tune in. So. Thanks again, and we'll uh, stay in touch. Thanks, Thomas. Really enjoyed the conversation very much. There you have it. That was John Pollard, Vice President of Business Development at Zebra Sports, or Zebra. As I said, data, data, zebra, zebra, tomato, tomato. Uh, really interesting stuff that they're doing. Um, also, I think uh, we didn't talk about it too much. We did touch on it about Zebra as the 
kind of parent entity coming from the core competencies in RFID outside of sports and then moving into sports and working with one of the biggest leagues in the world. So a little bit of a lesson there in terms of other sports technology companies. If you are looking and also people working within sports tech, if you're looking for solutions, always good to look outside the bubble of just sports because technology is is fairly agnostic. So there's a lesson there both for people that are looking, scouting for solutions, then also companies are looking to grow. Either way, grow into sports or grow out of sports. Uh, certainly something in the performance space that there is a, a world of um, technology applications out there that can help scale your company um, much bigger out of sports. But that being said, really glad that Zebra are, or Zebra are in sports tech and really interesting stuff and great to have John's expertise and perspectives on that. I will dive and give a prediction for the game. I think it's going to be great if everyone can just go out there and have fun um, and have a good time. I mean, who am I kidding? No, I would love Patrick Mahomes to to and the Kansas City Chiefs to to win. I'm hoping for a close game, but I think if Mahomes got the win, it will be a fantastic way to pass the torch from one goat to the baby goat. So. Hope everyone enjoys the game uh, this Sunday. You can always go back and listen to all our other episodes if you've missed out on any. As I mentioned a few episodes ago, we're going kind of every two weeks to every one week. We're kind of mixing it up with uh, how they're released. So make sure you subscribe on Spotify or on iTunes, Apple Podcasts to make sure you don't miss any shows. You can also sign up to our newsletter, sportstechworldseries.com and you will be alerted every week with an email about new episodes and also some great articles and deep dives in the world of sports tech. As always, I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again soon. 